0: Yes, well, now you have it as I composed it. Now, from the beginning. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslan.
1: I'm David Doe.
0: And this week, we watched Quo Vadis, a three-hour Christian propaganda epic set during Nero's time as emperor of rome (sighs) and it sucked ass (laughs) yeah
1: i mean the plot because even though this movie is fucking three hours long i can do it in like two sentences yes is about this guy that's a total piece of shit falls in love question mark with a woman shows that by making her a slave so he can own her and then slowly being won over to christianity as she insists that she's a christian and he wants to fuck real bad Meanwhile, Nero burns down Rome.
0: And throws a bunch of Christians to the lions, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's the full plot of this three-hour movie where there are arguably two pretty okay performances.
0: Uh, yeah, are there? I guess.
1: I'm giving... Which
0: ones are you picking?
1: (laughs) I think Deborah Kerr is pretty good in this, good enough that I decided to learn how to say her name in a thankless role, just absolutely dogshit part. But she's trying her little heart out, you know?
0: Okay, yeah, I guess so. It's funny because while she is sort of the focus of this quote-unquote love story, uh, she's not in the movie very much. So yeah, with what she has, I guess she's doing an okay job.
1: This is one of those performances that I think of... As a very particular me thing of like, this person is giving the wrong performance for this movie, but was actually performing correctly in a good version of this movie. Where I think if everybody was going as big as Nero, if everybody was just going ham, like Peter Ustinov is, then this would be at least a fun movie. Instead of just being fucking boring for three hours.
0: Yeah, I have to admit that at a certain point, I just entirely dialed back my ability to listen to anything at all and just looked at the costumes. And they spent a shit ton of money on this movie. I mean, everybody has a different costume on in every scene. Which for the dudes, except for Nero, is largely not that interesting. <laughs> but there are some really incredible gowns in this movie. Yeah. Nero's costumes are consistently over the top and kind of amazing. The fact that they basically rebuilt the circus and also the Coliseum is impressive i think this would be a great movie to just have on muted in the background of like a dance party
1: (laughs) yeah when you said i started zoning out on the dialogue and just looking at the costumes i was like oh that makes sense that's the intended viewing experience of this movie that is what mgm wanted you to do watching this movie yes like this is all spectacle no acting it is so weird when the dialogue shifts gears into faux profundity all the roman senators being like uh nero's the greatest emperor except for how he sucks shit and has ruined rome <laughs> and you're like this is what are
0: you yeah there is a whole lot go of back to, if you do this then the order and justice that rome has imposed on the whole of the world shall be destroyed and you're like No one gives a fuck about this. This is not what this movie is about. Yeah. Actually, I mean, yes, that is definitely weird. It's also, I wouldn't say entirely in conflict with, but is so beside the point of the extremely heavy handed Christian propaganda of this film. I actually sent you a text because I started watching it before you did Mm -hmm. saying that this was the 1951 version of the Left Behind movies. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, Christians are so persecuted. And it's like, yes, in first century Rome, that was true. In 1951, it was very much not. Why is this fucking necessary?
1: <laughs> I developed a hot take over watching this movie because there's been like this undercurrent in both TV criticism and political punditry, which is at this point, basically TV criticism. <laughs> that the West Wing ruined American politics by making all of the liberals think that politics is about, like, big, heady speeches about ideas. Which I've always thought was stupid because it's not like Aaron Sorkin fucking invented that. Like... What is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington?
0: Right, yeah. Or All the King's Men.
1: (laughs) But uh, my hot take is actually big 50s Roman epics about Christian persecution ruined politics in America because it developed as this huge cultural force, the idea of Christians cosplaying as persecuted. Mm. This movie gives you the enjoyment of being in the audience watching the Christians be thrown to the lions, the period spectacle of like, ho, 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 the violence, but also lets you feel morally superior to that by letting you go. Actually, I'm one of the persecuted ones here, even though I'm really enjoying watching people get torn apart by lions.
0: I don't know that you're wrong. <laughs> and we've got a lot of these coming up actually. Yeah. So it wasn't like this was a one-off. Right. The same way that the West Wing was not a one-off. <laughs> It is so heavy handed. And this whole uh, subplot question mark? I don't know. Because it's like, what is actually the plot of this movie? Yeah. Is it the Deborah Carr romance? Which makes me want to throw up when I say that because, again, she is made into a slave. Yeah. And then it's like, never mind. I actually love you. But I mean, I think possibly the main plot is that Paul of Tarsus comes to Rome. is preaching and then St. Peter gets crucified, and it's a whole thing. God, it's so bad. But all this stuff with the Christians is extremely anachronistic. Like, they're singing basically Protestant hymns at one point. Yeah. Uh, Which I think actually fits with the idea that you have of this being a thing that is... To appeal to American Christians and make them feel the virtue of being persecuted without any of the actual no, with the, experience with, of it. With the
1: with the vicarious power high of doing the persecuting.
0: Yes. Like the whole scene where Ligia, who is the one that Deborah Kerr plays, yeah. whose name is just the place that they captured her from... Yeah, where she's tied to a stake in the coliseum, and then they let a bull run at her and this big dude has to kill the bull so it doesn't murder her. And then that happens. It is so drawn out and it is so, hey, do you want some violent entertainment? Because we got you. But remember also, she's a Christian. Like you, you're a Christian too. Anyway, you want to see her almost get killed by a bull? It's okay, she doesn't. Here's 15 lions tearing people apart.
1: I guess I don't want to like waste all of my hot takes on this one movie because like you say, we're going to watch a lot of shitty Roman epics. One of my hot takes is I hate Roman epics. I kind of realized two hours into this movie, oh, I've never liked a Roman epic. Like not one time.
0: I'm trying to think if I've watched any before this other than Cecil B. DeMille's Cleopatra, which I love in spite of (laughs) itself.
1: Uh, Yeah, which I don't necessarily think counts. I mean, like, yes, it does, obviously, but it comes at it from this weird Egyptian angle, where it isn't quite about like the fall of Rome and what Rome meant. And what does that mean for Christianity? Usually, but not always.
0: No, it's really about the tragedy of Cleopatra getting hooked up with rome
1: yeah this and been her and spartacus and gladiator
0: oh god i fucking hate gladiator which we will have to get into yeah in a few years but one of the worst fucking movies ever made and fully fucked up movies for years to come like we are still dealing with the oh the best way to shoot a fight scene or a war scene is to do really shaky handhelds so it's like cinema verite but also so we don't have to spend that much money on training people to do actual fight choreography yeah we'll
1: watch other ones of these and i'll do some more of my feelings about why i don't like roman epics very much but the thing about this one that i do want to say because it is important to say for the first one is oh these are somebody figured out how to hack the haze code because somebody figured out that as long as you punish the villain at the end, you can go as violent as you want.
0: That's actually not a hack of the Hayes Code. That is explicitly stated in the Hayes Code.
1: That's what I'm saying, though, is that somebody figured out how to get what they wanted out of the Hayes Code. Oh, this actually can be like, prurient and do all of the shit that pre-haze code movies did if at the end you went those guys served satan god's great (laughs) then it's all cool and actually after 20 years of watching movies have to deal with the haze code feels among other things just so unfair (laughs) like that this movie just basically doesn't have to do shit about the haze code because they just go like Nero was the Antichrist. Anyway, let's watch the Antichrist do some rad shit for three hours. Don't you want to watch all the shit the Antichrist does? No. Yeah, not really, no. Mm,
0: No, in a way, actually, I do want to watch all the rad shit that the Antichrist does because it looks great on film. It's like, oh, they're burning Rome. This looks amazing. And then it goes on for entirely too long. There's like a whole 15 minute section where they're debating who they're going to blame the burning of Rome on even though Nero is the one who said that they should do it. Uh, Just so many scenes like that where it's completely fucking unnecessary and it's why this movie ends up being three hours long. And it's why I think that it would actually be just fantastic to put it on in the background of a dance party, like on a huge projection screen. Yeah, (laughs) Totally fine. Lots of... Incredibly beautiful women in wild ass costumes and scantily clad men.
1: And you don't have to deal with the dialogue (laughs) between all of them.
0: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. There's like 15 lions. I mean, I guess as far as historical accuracy is concerned, it's not that offensive. But there is one thing in it that really fucking bugged me. There is a scene where Marcus who is the guy that buys Legia has a Triumph in the middle of the forum, I suppose it is, and it's absolutely packed with people. And I will give it this credit that it made me realize for the first time why the person who was getting a Triumph had someone standing behind them in the chariot Whispering to them, Memento Mori, remember you will die. Because with that many people like shouting your name and all of the pageantry of it, it would be very easy to get up in your head that you were actually a little bit more than a man. But the guy standing behind him says, remember you are a man, yes. which is the subtext of Memento Mori. <laughs> but is not the text. And the remember you will die part of it to me is so fucking critical. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty early in the film and really pissed me off.
1: There's also a very, this is almost the opposite thing, but there is a bit of dialogue I was very annoyed was not in this movie. That is a Nero fun fact I have always liked, which is when Nero's authority totally broke down and the Roman army stopped following his orders the way that they would not follow his orders is to look him dead in the eye and quote the Aeneid to say, is it such a terrible thing then to die?
0: (laughs) That's so fucking badass.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, that that didn't end up being one of the things that happened at the end of this movie when it all falls apart for Nero. Was just like, oh, that would have been fun. And I guess that we don't want to have fun here.
0: It's weird. Because a lot of the things that are sort of apocryphal and are interesting about this period in time, or are true as far as we know, were not included. Like, why wasn't he fiddling while Rome was burning?
1: (sighs) Yeah, they kind of do that where he does his shitty liar music while Rome burns, but yeah... It's so weirdly and hastily set up. Like, there's this weird moment where his advisor that's too clever for him does this weird Chekhov's suggestion to burn down Rome out of nowhere Yes. in Act One, where he's like, that song could have been better. You should have set everything on fire with that song. Why would you phrase it that way, my man? <laughs> like, why would you do that?
0: Yeah, and there's definitely not the feeling that Nero is actually that sort of irrationally out of his mind. No. You know, it's just like, oh, well, he's a really entitled piece of shit. And then randomly, it was to set fucking Rome on fire. It doesn't really feel of a piece, though he is definitely giving the... Prince John in Robin Hood performance of I'm just very fabulous and wacky and it happens to be violent. Yeah. Which you're right, I think would be funny if everybody was on that level. Or not funny, but it would at least be campy and enjoyable. It's the like, oh, here's Seneca and some other senator at the table talking about how they must kill themselves because Nero doesn't love them anymore just kills the momentum of this movie entirely and all the stuff with Paul and the rest of the Christians yeah wow this movie just totally sucks except for what it looks like yeah
1: so one of the things I did to bide my time for three hours was read the uh, filmography of Peter Ustinov who plays Nero and Robert Taylor who we haven't mentioned this yet but is our lead and does an absolutely dog shit job. He's terrible. He's given a part that's also bad, so I don't envy him, but he doesn't do anything with it.
0: No, he does not do anything with it.
1: And both of their filmographies aren't fascinating in the sense of like, wow, they had long and storied careers, although they did. They're fascinating in the all of these titles sound fake. <laughs> My favorite ones for Robert Taylor are Where Angels Go, Trouble Follows.
0: I like that. That has to be film noir, right? Like, there's no way that that movie is not.
1: No, it's a comedy film about nuns.
0: Oh, damn it. <laughs> uh... Oh, man, Peter Ustinov was in Topkapi, which is the Istanbul heist film from the mid 60s that's supposed to be really terrible oh but like in a fun way he
1: was also in the curious adventures of mr wonderbird
0: yeah that is totally made up the curious adventures of mr wonderbird sounds like a fake middle grade series on a tv show (laughs) like you know on bojack horseman when diane starts writing the like (laughs) mall detective ya series yeah the Curious Adventures of Mr. Wonderbird sounds like the middle grade series that she would write.
1: Also sounding like that is Nikki's favorite title from his filmography. One of our dinosaurs is missing. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I broke you. Great. <laughs> um.
0: One of um. our dinosaurs is missing. Holy shit! Mm -hmm. One of our dinosaurs is missing! I have to watch this movie! (laughs) It can't be good, right? But I want to know!
1: No, God, it's got to be terrible. What's great is that is the last movie he did before he was in Logan's Run.
0: Yeah, but that's a real movie.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That must have been this like weird cul-de-sac in his career where like there just was nothing going on and he's doing these like weird nothing movies. No, he's like in real shit, like on uh, either side of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, some some real shit.
1: <laughs> there was a castle with forty dogs.
0: <laughs>
1: the goose steps out.
0: <sighs> I yeah. Wow, I'm actually kind of disappointed that we're not going to be able to watch One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing for this podcast. God, amazing. Truly amazing. What about Robert Taylor, though?
1: Yeah, Robert Taylor does not have anything quite as good as One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing, but he does have Her Cardboard Lover.
0: I I don't... what? (laughs) What?
1: He also has The Gorgeous hussy.
0: Uh, I don't know. That sounds like a movie from like 1932.
1: You're correct. 36.
0: Uh, uh, yeah. Just going to brush my shoulder off. Have to narrate that since this is not a video podcast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think I already said he was in a film called All the Brothers Were Valiant. And I don't know why that title amuses me so
0: much. No, you did not say that, but that is pretty ludicrous. For me, Johnny Tiger. Actually, the three in a row on his filmography, Johnny Tiger, Savage Pampas, Mm -hmm. and The Glass Sphinx are pretty great. I mean, Johnny Tiger is definitely somebody's late 70s, early 80s punk band name.
1: Here's my favorite thing about him being in the film Johnny Tiger is, do you think he debated with himself whether he gave the better Johnny performance in Johnny Tiger or Johnny Eager?
0: Mm.
1: Which is also a film that he started in 1942.
0: He actually doesn't play Johnny Tiger.
1: No, but he does play Johnny. And then in quotes as a middle name, Johnny (laughs) Eager.
0: Oh yeah. That's Johnny Johnny Eager.
1: God, he has a lot of, quote, middle name parts now that I'm looking at this. Thomas Tommy Farrell. (laughs) Jeffrey Jeff Holland. (laughs) Tommy Killer McCoy.
0: Oh, I feel like Robert Taylor did not have a very good career.
1: No. In this movie was the uh, second choice after Gregory Peck, who... I don't know if I want to see Gregory Peck putting his Gregory Peck powers into this role. I do want to see Elizabeth Taylor as the female lead. I think that would give it something, you know? But I don't know if I want to see Gregory Peck try and make this absolute piece of shit human being into a guy who's just trying his best, you know? I mean, it's certainly what Robert Taylor was going for that doesn't work at all.
0: I think it's actually very interesting how many people were supposed to be or might have been in this movie that weren't. Like, not just Elizabeth Taylor and Gregory Peck, but Clark Gable turned down the role of Marcus because he was like, I will look ridiculous in these Roman outfits. I'm not doing it. And he was right. Audrey Hepburn was considered for the lead female role in this and there are pictures of her in the costumes and i gotta tell you i looked at them and audrey hepburn looks fucking ludicrous in roman garb because she looks like a late 50s early 60s pixie and not at all like she could have possibly existed at that time yeah yeah Elizabeth Taylor is in the movie, though. Yes,
1: for like two seconds.
0: Yeah, she is an uncredited Christian prisoner in the arena. We do not actually see her get eaten by a lion, though.
1: Christopher Lee is also very, very briefly in this movie as one of the chariot drivers.
0: And Sophia Loren is an extra. Like, a lot of people who were in this or supposed to be in this were wildly famous or would later become wildly famous. There's that to credit it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, though, as Nikki said about the crowd scenes, did this movie get nominated because every single member of the Academy is in it? This is the prototypical cast of thousands movie.
0: Yeah, it is wild when you think about how many people they had to have. Like, I think I've become so inured to that because we have the ability to turn 50 extras into 10,000 people now. Yeah. But the number of people that they had to have had in these scenes is just i mean literally thousands as nikki said is it a best picture worthy movie not even fucking close no give it all of the technical awards you want totally fine it apparently didn't win in anything Despite being nominated for art direction and cinematography and costume design. Yeah,
1: even all that stuff. Like there's a chariot race about halfway into this movie that I did think the pitch for Ben-Hur is what if we didn't make Quo Vadis's chase scene shitty? What if we did a good job?
0: Yeah, the cinematography is not good, which is wild because they spent so much money on all of the stuff in the f- frames. For them to not do anything worth a damn in the cinematography. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it sucks is really what we're getting at. This is also the guy who did the cinematography for King Solomon's Mines and you can feel that. Yeah. Where he's like, yeah, the stuff in the picture is good enough. I don't need to do anything. Just like put the camera on it, go to town. And no, actually that. Like, that's how people take fucking pictures of their vacation. That's not what I want in a movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it ain't great. I will be interested when we watch the other Roman epics to see how much commonality there is in some things like set and costume design. Because there's so much stuff, as I was watching this with Nikki, where we both felt like, oh, a thing I thought was parodying Roman epics in general seems like it's parodying very directly this movie. Like, Life of Brian is very directly parodying Quo Vadis. You have not seen Hail, Caesar, but I feel like the fake Roman epic they are making, the costume they have George Clooney wear is literally exactly the Marcus Vinicius uh, costume from this movie. It's Robert Taylor's costume. Like, I think they just photo referenced it.
0: There are a number of costumes in this that I thought... Did they just use these for Life of Brian and like everything that came afterward? Like, there's just a big communal <laughs> Roman costume closet that everybody has been using for 50, well, 80 years. <laughs>
1: And I think to the extent that I'm trying to set myself up to have something interesting to watch for in the other Roman epics, that's going to be my question. How much are things parodying exactly this? And how much is it just that this movie was so goddamned expensive for the time that they just reused all that shit? Yeah, but for now, let's rate this movie four... The costumes are really good. Like, literally, that's a four for costumes and nothing else. Like, costumes and sets.
0: I mean, the art direction is also really good. The interiors are gorgeous, and they did some really incredible stuff with rebuilding parts of ancient Rome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Again, like great movie to put on with the sound off while you're doing other things.
1: Listen, if you include the acting or the script or the cinematography, it's actually a three. I want to make it very clear that the four is 100% production design and production design alone. That This is a four of damn, those costumes looked good. I don't think you can watch this movie for the plot. I think your brain rebels at the prospect. You have no choice but to effectively watch this in the background as you're doing something else.
0: Yeah, I think to really be succinct about it, Bosley Crowther's review, Here is a staggering combination of cinema brilliance and sheer banality, of visual excitement and verbal boredom.
1: (sighs) Yeah,
0: And within and around these visual triumph and rich imagistic displays is tediously twined a hackneyed romance that threatens to set your teeth on edge. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's it in a nutshell. It's gorgeous to watch. It is so fucking boring to listen to.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So watch this movie, but only if it's kind of on loop over the bar in a restaurant you're
0: at. Perfect. Perfect setting. Yeah. Like, kitschy... Italian restaurant that is going for an ancient Roman theme, but the food is really good because, like, it's 2021 and, you know, that's a requirement now. Yeah. <laughs> Would be the perfect setting for this film. Again, sound off. I cannot emphasize this enough.
1: Yeah. I paid $2 for this movie from Amazon, which is like the lowest rental price I've seen in months. And I did feel cheated when I got to the end of the film. So (laughs) do not watch this movie for your own enjoyment at home.
0: Do not watch this movie. So next week, we have the last of the 1951 nominees, Decision Before Dawn, which is still not... A Nazi zombie movie, as I had hoped that it would be, but is apparently a Nazi movie? I mean, it's not a movie made by Nazis, it is a movie about...
1: How the Nazis suck, yeah.
0: I don't think that anybody is going to, God, I hope so, ever nominate for Best Picture a movie that's like, Nazis are great! But, you know, we are in the worst possible fucking timeline, so who knows? Yeah,
1: let's not curse ourselves by saying... Either way, how that will go down by the end of this project. Yes. But for now, let's watch an anti-Nazi movie next week.
0: Woo! And until then...
1: This was a movie, it just wasn't a story or an exercise in acting. It was just pure movie, shot directly into your eyeballs.
0: Yeah, you know, it really was. Like, more than anything I think we've ever watched, it was a movie. And I don't mean that in a good way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Hi. Uh, Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Oh, oh lambent flames. Oh, oh, force divine. Oh, omnivorous powers,
0: hell. Omnivorous. Omnipotent. Oh, omnipotent, yes. Oh, omnipotent power, hell.